Welcome to Views from the North, a Canadian rates and macro podcast. This week, I'm joined by Joel Prusky, BMO's OIS and cross-currency trader. This week's episode is titled, Positive Thinking. I'm Ben Reitzes, and welcome to Views from the North. Each episode, I will be joined by members of BMO's FIC Sales and Trading Desk to bring you perspectives on the Canadian rates market and the macro economy. We strive to keep this show as interactive as possible by responding directly to questions submitted by our listeners and clients. We value your feedback, so please don't hesitate to reach out with any topics you'd like to hear about. I can be found on Bloomberg or via email at benjamin.writesis at bmo.com. That's benjamin.reitzes at bmo.com. Your input is valued and greatly appreciated. Joel, uh, happy new year, I guess, because uh, you haven't been on the show yet. But uh, w- welcome back. It's it's been a quarter, I think. You're a good quarterly visitor, just just the right amount of Joel for everybody. But now, now is a good time. We had the Fed uh, this afternoon and the bank last week, so good time to discuss all that and and uh, your your broader views on rates and such. Sure. I mean, I think uh, you know, I think we got the Bank of Canada pretty right. Um, you know, it was one and done and. You know, it was what I call 25 and 25. That's the last 25 until the temperature hits 25, in which case I think there's a better chance that they hike again versus cut. Uh, What's interesting to me here is the way the market reacted after the one and done. The U.S. market had a much more bullish reaction to Powell's one and more to come. And our central case isn't that we're going to have to cut rates next year. So, uh, you know, I think that's just a a function maybe of um, shorts in the market or, you know, the FOMO nature of the market or whatever you or whatever you want to call it. But it was interesting to me how the reaction in the market differed. Mind you, Canada, I guess, did uh, initially try to rally, but then gave up a lot of that stuff when they realized, you know, we're we're not over tightening. And if we're not over tightening, we don't have to rush out and and cut rates so soon. And I think that was always the the fear going on out there was that was that we were going to get to be way too restrictive. That was my takeaway uh, from the bank, at least, was that in the few days afterwards, uh, the cuts priced, we, we sold off like 10 basis points or so. Uh, and it was like, all right, well, we got exactly what we thought we'd get, yet we're still selling off here. But it's that. It's, it's less hikes equals less cuts and more hikes equals more cuts. And that's the market's thinking right now. And, and whether that makes sense or not. Uh, I guess you can you can wrap your mind around it. I'm not sure I agree, but uh, in the U.S., they just rally on everything, no matter what. Doesn't really matter what Powell says. They jump on whatever dovish angle to any statement he takes, and just run with it. And even if he says more rate hikes are coming, too bad. We still need to rally. I mean, that, that could be a function of too much cash looking for a home to invest. And I think uh, also probably chronic short base, you know, in the market, just forcing people to, I mean, look at the stock market and look at the bond market. If you believe that the Fed is going to make a mistake, inflation is going to get back to 2% way too quickly, and the Fed will turn around and then cut rates aggressively, it's not just an inflation story. It's because of demand destruction. And if that's the case, it's hard to justify stocks being where they are. So they both can't be right. And they used to say the bond market was smarter, but having traded with a lot of different bond traders in the last 25 years, I can tell you that I don't think either of them are very smart, myself included. So yeah, that's fair. It's going to be a challenging period, I think. Like there's lots, there's still lots of uncertainty. And that's for me, like it's all it comes down to is, is there's uncertainty around the path for inflation. Like we haven't lived through 
this inflation for 30 plus years and everyone just expects it to melt away. Well, we, we, why, why are we just assuming that? And maybe, maybe that's what happens and great. And maybe there's no recession and great, but like you're, we're kind of assuming a, a, a Goldilocks outcome here. Well, peak inflation is not the same as inflation going back down to 2%. And I think that's the nuance that I'm trying to get my head around. And yes, I believe inflation has peaked, but if it comes back down to five and stays there, that's a very different environment than if it gets back to two. And, and, and let's just go on a tangent for a second. Even when it gets back to two, as long as job growth is strong, you have people who sit there and say, there's been a one-time raise of prices that's costing me money and I want my piece of the pie. And if you get all that starting to happen over the next 12 months where people start demanding higher raises and because the, you know, the number of jobs is available is too vast, I think the central banks can have a problem on their hands. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I wouldn't say 5%, but two's, two's a stretch and two priced kind of throughout the forecast, right? Like as far out as you can see, we're, we're kind of, I would say in the U.S., probably priced for about 2.5% inflation, maybe a little bit lower after the rally today. I haven't, haven't looked this more this afternoon. Uh, but that, I mean, that's possible, but they're, they're, you're right in that wage growth could be stronger. But the, I, I think what's going to happen is, is all the secular forces that we've discussed in the past on, on inflation, the ones that were headwinds for inflation are gone. And so if we are in a world with inflation that's just somewhat higher, it doesn't have to be way higher. It could be the range can be like two and a half to three and a half instead of one and a half to two or some one and a half to two and a half. Uh, just just a higher range. So the average ends up being a little bit higher. Rates need to be higher generally. And instead of central banks trying, as they have for the past kind of 10 to 15 years, trying to push inflation higher consistently, they're going to be working the other way, trying to ensure that inflation stays contained. And so, again, that also argues toward higher rates generally rather than compared to what we've had for the prior 10 to 15 years or so. So it is I think that dynamic is going to be very different. And that's probably I, I think that's the market hasn't figured that out yet. And like we they, they need to fight inflation. They're not going to be there to be pushing inflation all the time. And overnight rates can't be below core inflation consistently. And and that won't be a dynamic that exists anymore. But we're not. I don't think we're there yet. We're but that's leave. that's a product of recency bias, yeah, right? Exactly. And, and and short termism, anyway. So it'll take a long time to adjust the market's thinking. Yeah, I mean, you know, I've had several conversations. When you open up trading for dummies on page one, it says once the Fed pauses, receive to your rate. Okay, it's what it says. And in the historical time I've been in the market, and as we all know, that's a long time. Um, often the two-year rate is kind of flat to overnight when that happens. So that makes sense. Well, I don't think I've ever seen the market this inverted. So I think on page two, it says nominal rates do matter or carry does matter. And I think the market's going to struggle over the next three to six months with wanting to be long for the magic pivot. Oh my God, we over tightened and recognizing that it's going to tear them a new one every single day when they have to bank those bonds, those, those five-year Canada's at 3%, you're banking them at four and a half. You better be right. If that's your core view, you got, you better be right. Cause every day that costs you 150 basis points. Six months, is a long time. It is. <laughs> <laughs> but the market doesn't care about six months. They care about the next 30 seconds. Well, holding, yeah, holding that risk, I mean, for six months, a long time. So uh, you're, at some point, it does come home to roost, I think. But uh, people probably, either rates need to get low enough that people just don't think it's worth it anymore. Or I guess maybe the carry just gets so punitive that 
They move into the front end. They buy one-year bills and say, well, I'll take my four and a half on the one-year and just sit there and wait till things get cheapened. I mean, if if I had a whack of money right now, I would not buy any stocks. I'd stick it on the one-year bills. And when things cheapened up or got more reasonably valued, I would sell the bills and buy something else. So you still see no no value in the back half of 2023? Still too expensive, even though we've backed off a bit? Well, after today's rally, I would say, I mean, we're almost back at the high. But I mean, I, I don't see the value in it myself. But, you know, I'm I'm an RV guy. I'm not a momentum guy. Just checking. Macro-wise, I, I don't see it either, but I, I, I hear that argument out there. And so that that the Fed, the bank, and others will start cutting kind of in, in the fall, more or less, effectively what the market has priced and, and uh, likely driven by weaker inflation, weaker economy, all that kind of stuff that at some point we do, we do buckle. But uh, we'll we'll see on that. And well, and that's that's kind of what I like. I, I'm not saying it can't happen, but I'm saying there's no evidence so far that that is happening. Job growth is strong. Sure, survey and sentiment indicators are weak. That were taken in December when the stock market was getting the, the crap kicked out of it every day. And you don't do as I say, do as I do. So you know, already we're already seeing a bounce in the numbers. Auto sales are stronger. Like things are things are coming out of January better. The housing market's warming up. Mortgage rates are way lower in both Canada and the U.S. So I, I think it's way too early to be so sure that rate cuts are coming end of 23 when the bias of central bankers is to keep them on hold yeah, for we, longer. We, we won't know till the middle of the year, at right. the earliest. And I like, oh, we just don't know what inflation is going to do. I put out my, my piece this week was just on what you needed to hit the Bank of Canada's inflation forecast. And it's, they're pretty optimistic. They're quite positive, hoping that the power of positive thinking works for them because um, point twos pretty much across the board is going to be pretty, pretty challenging. I think it's very possible. And, and, and maybe a lot of the inflation pressures came from, that came from supply chain issues are gone and energy prices gone, all that stuff gone. And, and, and anything related to wages, maybe that fades pretty quick, but I'm not so quick to believe that at this point. Uh, we shall see. This month, earlier this month, we uh, moved to Cora first. We, first day we started trading Cora in the swap market. How has the past, it's been about three weeks? Um, yeah. How, is, how has that gone? I think it's going well. I think the more savvy accounts have moved right over to Cora. I think there's still some laggards who aren't ready yet. Maybe it's system-wise. Maybe they just don't get the history off of Bloomberg yet, so they don't like to look at things. I mean, it is, it's causing a situation now where the only people who are really getting rich off this whole move is the brokers because the street winds up trading Cedar or Cora and then needing this hedge, the Cedar OIS and pushing that into the broker market. And so I think it's a bit of a mess right now from that perspective. I, I think by the time we get to April, it'll be cleaned up a, a lot, but I would encourage anyone who's still trading Cedor uh, swaps to move into Cora. The liquidity is going to get better. You're just going to need to transition them anyways. And uh, if I was a market maker in Cedor swaps, um, I would just start charging you more for the headache of doing it. May, may end up there at the end of the day. All right, so progress, but uh, still, still a ways to go, I guess. If, if you're saying April, a uh, few months before we get better liquidity or enough that people really want to go there for it, sure. Like it, they won't. It, you know, I mean, we just had a big move down in Cedar OIS today, which probably doesn't help things because the more volatile any one of those components is, the more fractured the market seems to become. But at some point, I think Cedar OIS will stabilize and then it won't be such a big thing. And then maybe there'll be 
fungible more, but I, I would encourage everyone to switch over to Cora. Joel, you mentioned the uh, housing market earlier and, and, and mortgage rates uh, coming down on both sides of the border. On the Canada side, uh, that can be very impactful for the market. We've seen a lot of uh, receiving in the five-year sector on the back of the weakness in housing. Assuming we get some pickup in activity, and I, and I think we will, just more listings in the spring, lower mortgage rates you mentioned, uh, sales are, are really just kind of bouncing off the bottom here. So it's hard to get weaker than where we are. Uh, probably, probably just upside with more supply and, and lower rates. That probably means a little bit less receiving in that five-year sector from, from the banks uh, generally. You think five's finally cheaping up here a little bit and we get a little bit of sanity to the curve? I mean, if if the banks uh, do see mortgage growth in the spring, there's no doubt to me that that you know fives will underperform. I mean, twos, fives, tens in Canada is at minus 90. The highest it got was kind of minus 97. It's the or the lowest got, sorry. It's the lowest of any G10, 5, 7, 15 nation, you want to call it. And that's, you know, we know why that happens. And if they can replace those assets with mortgages, then they'll be out paying fives outright or paying fives on the curve, perhaps. I mean, I do think that's a good trade to have in the in the back pocket. Uh, if we get back to between 95 and 100, uh, you know, I don't think it's a trade that hurts you. And it's kind of like a free look at at the mortgage growth. Yeah, and uh, I I think it's worth watching over the next couple of months to see what home sales do. With Jan still a pretty cold month, uh, you can buy houses in January, but they don't they don't trade all that much. Uh, but they they do move. But we come come March April May I think the really really watch things and maybe we'll get a taste of that in February uh, with mortgage rates having come down and maybe we'll see we'll get the Jan numbers over the next couple couple of days probably. Uh, Toronto, at least for the major cities, Toronto, Vancouver, et cetera. Uh, so we'll get an idea. Maybe things thought a little bit. I mean, winter hasn't been that cold, so maybe that maybe that pushed a few more people out the door to check out some houses and and bring some eventual sanity to the uh, to the five year sector in the in the Canadian market. I mean, an- anecdotally, I hear more and more people talking about housing's more affordable. Prices have come down. There's more supply out there, and mortgage rates are lower. Like I hear that from not only people on the desk, but from friends of mine's kids. So that, you know, I am hearing that anecdotally, and like, like I agree with you, January was is a kind of a miserable time as is February. But I think come the spring, I think you'll you'll probably start to see some of that. That doesn't mean there isn't more downside for prices, but I, I just activity probably probably at the bottom. We'll see if things pick up at all. Uh, Joel, what are your favorite trade ideas at the moment? Um, well, I mean, I think the Bank of Canada is going nowhere for at least two meetings. So I'm kind of not sure why guys continue to pay kind of three to four B premium for both the March and the April meeting. I think, you know, uh, April was trading at 458 the other day. I think that's just eight basis points you can pick up while you're waiting. I think June, July in the, you know, as we approach negative three, negative five is a very cheap option on what I think is it, it would be almost impossible for the bank to cut rates by July. You'd have to have a crushing recession or inflation starting to go negative across services and jobs, you know, cratering for that to even be considered. So that's kind of a cheap lottery ticket, I think, June, July, uh, at minus three or between minus three and minus five. How low do you think inflation has to get before they'd be willing to cut? They have to believe that inflation is low and staying low. And I mean, some of that depends on what's going on in China and commodities and everything else. So, 100%. you know, I mean, if, you know. Does it need to be 2%? 
or could it be on its way to 2%? No, I think they need to make sure it stays down. Okay. I mean, they don't, no one wants to be the Arthur Burns, although I think Jay Powell's doing a pretty good imitation at the moment. <laughs> so two, two and staying there for at least a little while before, or the economy imploding. Right. Either, either or. Okay. So that, I mean, that probably takes July pretty much off the table because we can get down to two and a half-ish on headline inflation by then. It is very doable. Uh, the math works pretty well there. Um, so that number's doable core, probably higher by then still. Uh, still still probably a three-handle, but you could be bordering on two by then, potentially. We'll see, depending on how, how things pan out over the next few months. But you'll, it means no bigger readings. That's all like that win. And, and that might be wishful thinking at this point. Again, time will tell, right? I think it's just, it's very early. And I, I think that's a, just a cheap lottery ticket. That's all. All right. What else? In cross-currency space, I mean, we've highlighted in the past a lot of these micro RV things. Those things still exist. In the kind of two to five-year sector, there's a lot of micro RV. Most of these listeners wouldn't care. But if they do, call me. Bloomberg me. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the, the market has been in a 15-year process of devolving. And uh, liquidity has continued to suffer and continues to get worse and worse. And I don't think it's really a function of the hiking cycle. I think it's a function of the reality that it's just not what it was anymore and it's not going to be. And that's going to mean banks and dealers hold a lot less risk and are willing to take a lot less risk, which means things get wonky a lot faster, which means there's a lot more micro RV opportunities out there that generally we give on a silver platter to the hedge fund community because of our lack of risk taking and our lack of uh, PL volatility or uh, able to stomach PL volatility. So, I mean, if you ask me today what there is, uh, there's probably not a lot at the moment, but you know, I say, don't worry, wait three days or three weeks, there'll be something good. And that's all driven by a flow that will push a point of the curve out. And, you know, whether it's June, July, or whether it's these uh, three, these four, these five, SOFA, or whether it's three year, one year, five year, one year cross currency basis swaps or whatever, there's there's always going to be something for those who. Just a function of the uh, regulatory environment that we've fallen into now, where that I think that's what that's what drives a lack of risk taking appetite. And like mm, we're just not allowed to some extent. No, well, I think why? that I think that uh, as we evolve into we're jobbers and we're only jobbers. Oh, that's fine. If you're a jobber, you're a jobber. That's what you do. But, you know, why are we the ones making a quarter or trying to make a quarter and giving the five to the hedge funds? That's the part I don't get. That, that, That doesn't make sense to me. If there's smart trades, we as a firm, our competitors as a firm should be saying, hey, wait a minute, why are we trying to take a quarter out of something that's probably worth five? So I, maybe I'm old school, but if all we are is jobbers, we will be reduced we will be taken over by computers. It'll, we're already taken over by computers on, on some of the cash product. So once our, our role is just to facilitate a nothing thing, that's it. We're gone. Between chat GPT and, and fast enough computers, they're not going to need us for certain things. Yeah. Uh, and, that's and the way I see it evolving try- anyways. And I'm trying to keep my job for another five years. So Five years? You might be here forever. He's going to outlive me, folks. And I'm only slightly younger. One, one or two years, <laughs> maybe decades. Maybe. No, I'm not that young. I wish. All right. Uh, I guess that's it for, for this week. Joel, thanks for, uh, thanks for coming out. And, All right, uh, Sorry it wasn't uh, as uh, exciting as usual, but I just, there's just not a lot going on right now. You are always exciting, Joel, and you're always welcome back anytime. Thanks very much, Ben. Pleasure to be here. 
Thanks for listening to Views from the North, a Canadian rates and macro podcast. I hope you'll join me again for another episode. The views expressed here are those of the participants and not those of BMO Capital Markets, its affiliates, or subsidiaries. For full legal disclosure, visit bmocm.com slash macrohorizons slash legal.